hello 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 uh welcome back to yet another episode of absolutely nobody's favorite podcast annoying question boy uh i am your host uh annoying question boy and today we got we got uh quite the topic to talk about um and we'll kind of get into a discussion about what that's going to be in a minute but uh i'd like to first start out by saying that um I haven't posted a podcast in a while because I've been extremely busy, um, but I am on quarantine once again, so hopefully I'll be able to get a few episodes out in this time um, and be able to actually make you know quality episodes rather than just forcing myself to talk out my thoughts while driving to to or from work. You know that would be nice, um, but yeah. So today we are talking about. Um, arming the masses now when i say that of course most people will automatically jump to the thought of guns which of course we will talk about later in the episode but i was literally just listening to an episode of revolutionary left radio it was actually their first episode of the gorilla history podcast with vj prashad which uh rev left the the producer of red left um Rev left uh brett posted on his podcasts uh feed but yeah so they were talking about this very topic and it really brought to my mind how comparatively to places such as like south america uh central uh and latin america who teach their oftentimes if they are not actively living under a U.S. inspired coup or a military junta, uh, they oftentimes are taught about these things that we're going to talk about uh, in much more depth than you and I ever even hear in our own personal conversations. Um, a big issue with America is this segmentation of good versus bad ideology and uh, this huge red flag that is put above anything that has to do with um the masses you know when you when you hear the word the masses i I don't know about you but i know for myself when i heard hear the word the words the masses i automatically think of communism um i don't know why i don't know if that's just me but um it seems to me that just about any information that could be shared to the people that could help them to liberate themselves find freedom for themselves find self-determination for themselves uh is withheld from them because within countries such as america and other places that isn't actually what they want uh they being the people in charge uh but without further ado let's go ahead and uh roll some fat intro music and uh then we'll jump right into it Since I am on quarantine again, I've been given a lot of time that I have been seeking uh, for reading. Um, I have never been someone who... Actually, that's not true. When I was a kid, I used to be able to sit and read like a motherfucker. But now, I don't know what it is, but I can't sit still to save my life. And not for nothing, 
this pandemic, you know, being home most of the time in the same room, doing the same things, uh, has certainly made it much more difficult to uh, advance my attention span in a way that'll make it easy for me to read. Um, but the last night and this morning, I've been able to do a bit of reading. Um, I am rereading the manifesto uh, with newfound understandings, and uh, it's been great so far. I'm also currently reading two other books. I'm reading Our History is the Future by Nick Estes, and then I am also reading Washington Bullets by Vijay Prashad, um, which all three of those books, obviously fantastic reads, check them all out. Um, but what we're here to talk about today is not theory. Um, not reading, not anything like that, but it does have to do with that. Um, so as I said in the intro, today we're going to be talking about arming the masses. So when I say that, what do I mean? Of course, arming the masses includes uh, armed resistance uh, and weapons. Obviously, th this is true. Guns are a necessary tool for revolution. However, Arming the masses is not exclusive to giving the masses guns. Um, so, like I said, I was listening to that uh, Guerrilla History podcast with Vijay Prashad um, and a few other hosts. I apologize, I can't remember all of their names. Um, but they were talking about how in places such as Cuba, you know, we got a lot of Westerners who would scold or make fun of Castro for giving, you know, six-hour speeches and stuff like that. Because, you know, a lot of times our understanding of who Castro was is muddied by the propaganda that we have been uh, force-fed for our entire lives in the West. Um, but also because we have this understanding of our... of power, of people in power, as being bad usually you know um in america we have such a, a negative view of our government we have such a negative view of power structures which is good in that we understand that there's well i don't think we understand but we at least we at least hate power uh other people in power um which i don't necessarily know if that means that we understand that there shouldn't be power structures um, but it, it at least gets us to a point where we have this disdain for being oppressed, for being under control, um, for having someone have their thumb on our foreheads our whole lives. This has surfaced in many different ways in my own personal life, but one way that it has become true is a, a structure of education, ideology, philosophy, economics, government, what have you, that is labeled as acceptable. You know, in America, if you were to go to Barnes & Noble and you're going to go to the philosophy section, and I know this to be true because I've done it before, there's going to be one piece, one piece of revolutionary philosophy, and that is, in fact, the Communist Manifesto. That is it. Um, outside of the Communist Manifesto, there are a few... Uh, philosophical critiques of Marx, one of which I am I am also in the process of reading Why Marx Was Right by, um, oh, what the hell is his name? Something Eagleton. But 
I mean, not for nothing, there's a million pieces of philosophical text that come from the left side of the sphere that oftentimes we are hard pressed to find. Um, and oftentimes when we do find it, it is uh, usually a critique of that, you know, revolutionary text or of that philosophy. And it's usually a negative critique of it. So why is that? Why, why do you think, like in your, in your own mind, why is it that you think that a country such as the United States would make it very difficult to acquire real substantive, you know, leftist theory. Why would a country like the United States make that difficult to find? Well, if you understand anything about the United States, you know that the United States and leftist philosophy are in, in the truest form, antithetical to one another. So what does that mean? Well, when we have discussions about freedom, when we have discussions about equality, we have to take them in stride and in context. I tried to start to write a paper a few times the other day. Uh, I've done a couple discussions about freedom on my podcast and on my blog, but I really wanted to do a post talking about how these freedoms that you and I in America are told that we have, one, are, you know, interdependent on our ability to afford those freedoms but also those freedoms that are extended to us are extended to us because you know places in the global south are severely exploited one of the main exports of all of the global south is the freedoms that you and i enjoy we get to enjoy economic freedoms because people in bolivia have died of starvation we get to enjoy economic freedoms because we have over-farmed countries like Haiti um, to a point where they cannot grow their own crops. And I know, of course, when I say we, you would think I'm talking about the United States. But when I'm saying we right now, I am meaning that as a capitalist society, you know, France is the one that overfarmed Haiti to a point where they can't grow any crops for themselves. But we are a part of what France is, and that is a capitalist oppressive country. Um, so, why would this information be left out of our education? Um, or, even if it isn't left out, why is it, you know, sprinkled in in little, little bits and most of the, you know, vast wealth wells of information why are they you know kept hidden away well like i said capitalism cannot exist in the same place as revolutionary theory they are antithetical to one another and this is why we must arm the masses so when i say arm the masses on the Rev Left episode, they were talking about all the different things that you as a society need to know in order to create a new society. So you need to know how the fuck does electricity work? You need to know how do we build in-home plumbing? You need to know how do I read? These are all things that are necessary in building a new society. And these are the precise things that I am meaning, you know, when I say arming the masses. In countries such as, uh, 
you know, or in, in continents such as South America and places such as Central and Latin America, they learn about U.S. imperialism. They learn about the effects that it has had on them. They learn their history in relation to the United States and, you know, exploitation and oppression. And this is true armament for the masses because they are not so easily swayed as Americans. So, even though I really am sick of talking about it, let's take a real quick look at the election and let's try to understand how arming the masses by giving them theory and education could have influenced a different presidential electee uh, to become, you know, our next president. So you look at someone like Bernie Sanders. He spent a lot of his time talking about, you know, the ultra-rich, talking about the 1%, talking about all the, you know, inconsistencies throughout society, all the contradictions. Actually, I don't really think he really hit on contradictions of capitalism, but he did, at the very least, talk about how there is so much at top, at the top, and so little at the bottom. All it took was Fox News calling Bernie Sanders a radical leftist for everyone who watches Fox News to completely hate him on principle, on principle of him being a socialist. If you know anything about politics, about theory, about socialism, you would be well aware that Bernie Sanders is like only barely a socialist in his, you know, conversations that he has had outright i can't speak to uh his core how much uh he supports true socialism but he's a democratic socialist or a socialist uh, a sock dem like I, I don't know what the difference is but he wants to try to implement socialist policies within a capitalist society which you know to, to say the very least, reforms can save lives. Changing policies within a capitalist society to make them more socialist in order to help people is not bad. This idea of calling everyone who wants to work within a capitalist system a reformist or a revisionist and, you know, critiquing them for that is, one, utterly ridiculous because, first of all, what the fuck are you doing to do anything different? And second of all, because we can't just think that, you know, if we were to get Bernie Sanders as president, or if we were to have a revolution, that tomorrow we can just instill socialism and have it just work perfectly fine. No, that's not how these things work. Um, so arming the masses is incredibly important because if people had had an understanding of what socialism actually is and what Bernie Sanders was talking about, one, they would have recognized that everything he was talking about was going to benefit the general public. Um, the 1% that he talked about very often does not include you. It does not include people such as you and I who go to work for a wage. When he spoke of Medicare for all, when he spoke of, you know, raising the taxes on the rich... Those were things that were going to help you. Even if you don't like socialism, you don't have to. They would have helped you. They would have made your material conditions better. But because the masses in this country are not armed with true education, with true understanding of political theory, they were so 
easily duped by someone such as Tucker Carlson by just simply hearing the word socialist and immediately realizing that it was a dog whistle, meaning that it was bad. So how do we change that? How can we, in the day and age that we exist in, with Fox News, One America News Network, CNN, MSNBC, all being tools of the state to further perpetuate the status quo, how can we, as leftists, combat such massive institutions? Sorry, let me take a sip here. I got some nice fruit juice. Homemade, too. Um, yeah, so how, how, how do we do that? How are we going to arm the masses with education? How are we going to arm the masses with theory to a point where they understand the world around them for what it truly is, not the ideas that surround it, but its material reality and how to improve that? How do we get that education to the masses? I don't fucking know. I really, I, I don't, I, I couldn't fucking tell you, uh, this is one way, um, my blog is another, not to brag, obviously, that's not what I'm doing, I'm just simply saying that, you know, all these podcasters that have come out, all these leftist podcasters, all these, you know, different YouTubers and stuff like that, this is all arming the masses, this is all education, oftentimes as leftists, I find that we think that the only way that we can consume theory is by reading the text, which obviously is very important. And, you know, many leftist thinkers, many revolutionaries throughout history have pointed out the necessity for theory. Because if you don't have theory, then a revolution will just bring you to the same place that you were at before. If you don't have theory, if you don't have a theoretical understanding of what needs to change, then there's no point to even have a revolution because nothing will change. So theory is extremely important, and it is important to read it as it is written. But for someone such as myself who can't sit still and read something like Capital, uh, which is over a thousand pages, I, I can't sit still and read that. So what do I do? I go over to Mark's Madness. Guess what? They have a whole season talking about Capital Volume 1. Great. Is it a summation? Is it missing information? Yes, of course. But the, the, the intentionality of educating the masses is to get them an understanding that will help them. Not everybody has to be a political theorist. I certainly cannot be a political theorist can i take political theory give it in in you know bite-sized chunks in a way that uh it has helped me to understand it and record it and post it of course but that that doesn't mean that everyone who calls themselves a leftist that everyone who calls themselves a communist has to have this extensive library uh, of of understanding so we have to arm the masses, and this is one of the ways that we do it. Um, beyond that, again, like I said, we have to understand what is necessary to build a new society. Um, I'm rereading the manifesto, as I said, and you know, a lot of people feel that Marx was extremely deterministic when he was speaking about the transition from 
feudalism to capitalism and capitalism to socialism and socialism to communism, saying that, you know, the, the, the means of production, when they can no longer progress, necessitate change. That doesn't mean that we can all just sit in our house and wait for capitalism to fail, and then tomorrow some guy's going to get on the TV and just go, all right, guys, we're socialists now. No. What it means is that the need for change exists, but we have to know how to change it. We have to know what is, you know, needed to be done, what is needed to come after to see a, a better society. There's a million different people much smarter than me who can explain to you what exactly that is. You can read Capital, you can read the Manifesto, you can read a billion different pieces of theory. But what I am here to talk to you about is the necessity for education. In the United States, in many, many places, this, this dif differentiation between materialism and idealism is hardly ever discussed. Um, and, you know, obviously Marx was a, a, a huge proponent for the evolution of this materialist understanding. But I think that we as human beings don't need to read Marx in order to understand materialism. Uh, a great example is by looking at uh, indigenous resistance within not only just the United States, but across the globe. Uh, indigenous resistance against uh, capitalism, against settler colonialism. You know, not for nothing, but when the pilgrims landed in America and set up shop and, you know, they walked up and shook hands with the chief uh, indigenous person of all of America and all of a sudden, you know, white people and indigenous peoples just, you know, all sat down at the table and had Thanksgiving dinner together, right? That's obviously precisely what happened. When the people who did not like the pilgrims decided to fight against them, they didn't have Marx. He wasn't even born yet. Um, does this mean that now they have no understanding of materialism? Does this mean they have no understanding of uh, revolution, of resistance? Does this, does this mean that they were just lost? No. And you and I are not lost without necessarily theory. Um, but theory and education are things that can bring our understandings to a new level. So what I mean to say is this. You and I can walk outside of our front door if we have a home. Luckily, I do. I know there's millions of people that aren't going to here soon. And that is a, first of all, a failure of capitalism. Period. End of story. And also a atrocity. It's disgusting that almost 30 million people are at risk of losing their homes in the middle of a global pandemic where half the country is out of a job. But you and I don't need to read Marx to understand the reality that is true within those circumstances. The reality that exists for working class people is, as it has been expressed to me in many different ways, work or die. You can decide to go to work in order to earn a wage. You can decide to try to open up your own business. You can decide to figure out, you know, however you want to acquire capital. But if you don't do that, you will die. We have government assistance programs. We have a welfare state, quote unquote. But 
all of those programs still exist within a capitalist society that uh, promotes profit uh, above all else. Capitalism exists to create surplus value and funnel it into a very few select hands. Now, none of this requires an understanding of Marx to know that this is wrong. When you have 1% of a country who owns more wealth than the bottom 50%, and within that bottom 50%, you have over 28 million people who are going to be forced onto the street because they don't have enough paper money to give to some guy in order to live in a home. You don't need to read Marx. You don't need to read Engels. You don't need to read any theory to know that that is wrong. But the difference is, even though it might be conceived as quote-unquote wrong on a personal level, when you are looking at it abstractly, many people in this country do not take a problem with this. You know, well, maybe they should have went and got a job. Maybe they should have saved money. Maybe they should have lived somewhere else. Maybe they should have done this. Maybe they should have done that. And that's the common narrative in this country. Um, whenever someone is, you know, maybe not the richest person in the world, it's always looked at as their own fault. Um, you know, when I can't afford groceries, my dad tells me, well, pick up another shift. Cool, dad. Thanks. Really helpful. How about instead we create a society where you don't have to labor for 40 plus years just to survive? Like, not for nothing. How, how, how is that accepted? How, 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 do we, how do we wake up every morning, go to our job and say, yes, this is the way that things should be. This is the way that things should be. I should have to go spend eight miserable hours in fucking Walmart at a cash register with a million people giving me shit, you know, just having a goddamn awful time, I should have to do that in order to be able to eat tonight. That just makes sense. Does anybody think like that? I, I feel like if you are working class and you do think like that, you got a long way to go, my friend. Another sip of juice here. Hold on. So how is it then that we get all of these people who, if they were if they were handed the right, you know, fortune cookie with the right sentence on it, would understand this? How do we get this information to these people? We're starving for it, literally. Well, do it. Just fucking start telling people shit. Something that I've found in my own personal life is that if you just start talking politics with people, there's three responses you can get. You can get someone who's going to, actually four, you can get someone who's going to disagree, but, you know, ultimately doesn't really give a shit enough about politics, they're just going to pass on. You're going to get someone that's going to agree and want to talk with you more of it. You're going to get someone who so furiously disagrees with you that they might physically threaten you and for you might just get someone who's going to say, I don't want to fucking talk about this and walk away. There's only one option there that's dangerous. And I think most of us can probably figure out what people are going to respond that way. Again, 
just look at your material reality. If he's wearing a Trump hat, maybe don't talk to him about dialectical materialism. Actually, probably don't talk to anybody about dialectical materialism, because what the fuck? Um, but yeah, so th this information is not new. This information is not... Uh, it's not anything different than it was when Marx wrote it down in 1848. It's not any different when indigenous resistance was happening across the globe to colonialization in the age of exploration. It's not any different than what the serfs were telling other serfs about wanting to, you know, pick up their pitchforks and go kill the landlords and institute a bourgeois uh, revolution. Nobody needed anything other than their own understandings. To make change. Nobody today needs anything more than their own reality to show them what needs to be done. Again, you got 28 million people in this country who are at risk for eviction in the middle of a global health crisis that is on the rise yet again. How is it that capitalism is supposedly the end-all be-all of what's to come how is it that we can think that the system that we live in here in the united states helps fucking anyone except for the one percent about a week or two back i had uh, i did an episode with a friend of mine matt you can go back and listen to that if you want i advise that you don't because it's an awful episode because all he did was just scream at me um but it it, it goes without saying that the sentiments that Matt was trying to express to me when he was on my show are not, you know, odd. They're not really all that different than what anyone else believes. He just happens to have spent a lot of time trying to educate himself. And the issue with capitalism and liberalism, as it were, is the fact that it's not quote-unquote wrong. It just misses the mark. You know, capitalism does create opportunity. Because of capitalism, I have a job at Smoker's Choice. But if capitalism weren't a thing, and maybe I was really good at woodworking, I might be a carpenter. But I can't because I can't afford to set up a shop. I can't afford to buy all the materials I need in order to sell them, and most likely, I wouldn't be able to sell any of my goods at a price point that would beat places like Walmart, Big Lots, and other you know wholesale places like that. Uh, Amazon. So now, because of that, the quote-unquote opportunities that I am granted are jobs for a wage. Why is this bad? Well, because, I mean, not for nothing, I am, you know, I go to Smoker's Choice, and in a shift, maybe I sell $5,000 worth of product. I get paid $100. That's $4,900 that... I personally sold, I might not have created, you know, those commodities. Uh, I might not have manufactured or produced the things that I'm selling. But I stood in the store for eight to nine hours. I dealt with the drive through I dealt with the annoying customers who don't want to wear a mask. I dealt with the customers who, you know, even though I tell them multiple times over, they decide to put their mouths on the pieces, and then they get frustrated with me with when I tell them, hey, you put your mouth on that, you gotta buy it now. Not my CEO, not my boss, not my district manager, me. But I get paid a wage, and that wage is only enough to survive on. 
And when I say survive, I don't mean survive and thrive. Like, I'm not living in a, a, a two-story split-level home with a nice car in the driveway and a pool in the backyard, even though that's what I came from. And I probably never will. And that is exclusively and explicitly because of the existence of capitalism. Because now I am granted, again, only opportunities to earn a wage that is going to make it so that I am alive in order to come do it again tomorrow. This, you know, this wage slavery that we are indoctrinated into and incapable of escaping is no different than any other form of slavery in that we are actively oppressed and exploited and made to exist in one sphere of society. You know, the same way that wages is only given to me in order to, you know, be able to sustain life so that I can come back tomorrow and work again, um, those wages are only enough to keep me in that one place. You know, I am not earning enough at Smoker's Choice where if I wanted to start my own business, I could. Surely I could get loans, I could borrow from people, you know, maybe I could get a second job, sell some of my stuff. But again, I mean, really, is this something that you and I should be held responsible for? Is this something that you and I should personally have to try to figure out? Um, especially in a society that tells all of us that we're free to do whatever our hearts desire. So back to the main point of arming the masses. This education and this understanding is the only thing that can bring liberation to the people. But after that education comes, after these understandings come, a lot more also has to come. So first things first, we, it's 2020, we're seeing another huge rise of COVID cases. A lot of people are losing jobs, a lot of jobs are closing down, etc., etc. Wanna what isn't closing down? Stock market. Wanna what else isn't closing down? These huge banking conglomerates, Walmart, Amazon, Tesla, all these places that we're told are, you know, these pivotal figures of what capitalism can breed. But the problem is we were not there at the start in order to be a part of that. The bourgeois revolution that came when Marx was writing is precisely what allowed for people such as Jeff Bezos to amass $199.35 billion of you know net worth and the same thing that puts me in a place where I am subject to you know whatever wage jobs that I can find. Because I am not a member of the bourgeois class, which, sorry to break it to you, if you're listening to this, you aren't either. The problem with that is that there is no escape. There is no joining the bourgeois class. There is no working hard enough to become a billionaire. Now, I'm sure that some people are going to be like, well, what about this one very specific example of this guy who, you know, grew up in Chicago and then, you know, worked hard and got the right opportunities and now he's a, a owner of a fortune 500 company that's fantastic but that's the exception not the rule and we have to understand things like that in the way that they exist 
Just because someone is capable of working hard enough to earn a million dollars doesn't mean that everybody is. What if I'm in a fucking wheelchair? Huh? So we have to understand that the very structure of this system that we live in is antithetical to what capitalism claims to be. You know, you cannot live in a capitalist society as a working class person and be free to be anything other than a working class person. Now, for some, is this enough? Sure. And under socialism, there's going to be a working class. The only difference is we are not going to be oppressed. We are not going to be under the control of the elites, of the, you know, of the bourgeois. We're not. Because the the whole reason why you and I are, are suffering with uh, wage slavery, with um, the lives that we have to live, is solely due to who owns the means of production. Now, again, to, to hit on another, you know, pretty common critique of Marx, a lot of people take offense with the fact that Marx and Engels boiled just about everything in society down to economics. That's not the case. They just realized that the momentum that pushes the production forces and the progression of society forward is, in fact, the means of production which find their base in economics, in, uh, you know, political economy think i'm using that word correctly and so this this uh, this this critique of marx is saying that everything is not capitalism everything is not the economy is i mean not for nothing wrong because everything is the economy if you look at countries such as bolivia who are making the transition towards a public ownership of the means of production you can see that the very economic system that exists in that country compared to the economic system that exists in this country allows Bolivians to be much freer, enjoy many more liberties and uh, opportunities of self-determination than you and I will ever get to experience under capitalism. One of the most important things that you know this this education this arming of the masses can do is give people dignity give people dignity within their own lives to determine what it is that they are going to do with their lives you know in america i do not have the dignity to decide what i want to be i am given a few options of things that i can do to try to do what i want but ultimately, it all depends on my ability to afford those things. And since I can't even afford to go to community college right now, I don't think I'm going to be able to open up a carpentry shop, which isn't necessarily what I want to do. But if it was, you understand what I'm saying. Um, now, surely people will say, well, of course you can go get loans. Da, 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 da. But then again, you are putting yourself in a position of oppression because now the bank owns that shop. Now the bank owns your tools the bank owns all that shit in capitalism we're told that we're enjoy you know able to enjoy free consumption and things like that you know i can go to a car dealership and buy whatever car i want with the bank's money 
And if I don't pay the bank the money that they want, when they want it, they won't blink for a second to come take it from me. Does the bank care that maybe I need that car to go pick up my child from daycare? Does the bank care that I need that car to get to work in order to afford uh, a life? No. They care that they bought that car on their dime. They extended a line of credit to me through a loan of which I am, you know, necessitated to pay back. And I didn't pay it. That's all they care about. That is not a corruption of some random bank that's just evil. That is capitalism. Because the bank exists to make a profit the same way that everything in capitalism exists to make a profit. And that's problematic for a lot of different reasons. But all these, you know, all this information I'm spewing out my ass, all this, you know, shit that you read you know leftist theory revolutionary theory this is all armament this is all an attempt to arm you so now let's go jump right into the discussion of guns because i think that that's a it's an important discussion so many revolutionaries alike understand that guns or really just weapons are necessary tools of a revolution. I mean, not for nothing, but the United States has massive, massive, massive wells of weaponry. We have a $750 billion annual military budget. Now, do you really think that a country that is willing to go to places such as the Middle East, South America, Africa, Asia, wherever, and kill millions of people, whether through direct conflict or through oppression by the means of uh, implementing capitalist uh, practices within a country that prior to the United States was not capitalist, it doesn't matter. They're still killing people. And again, this implementation of capitalist practices in countries such as, you know, places like maybe... I don't know, the Caribbean, you know, the sugarcane farms that came uh, from Christopher Columbus's voyages. Uh, is this necessarily a guy pointing a gun at someone, shooting him in the head? No. But what is a man if they are not free? They are dead. What am I if I am not free? I am dead. I am nothing. I am a machine that exists to produce uh, value for someone that will pay me a wage, that will allow me to eat, drink, go to school, have a house, drive a car maybe, in order to come back and work again tomorrow. But am I anything other than that? No. And none of us are. Imagine the personalities, the hobbies, the interests, the experiences that we would have if you and I were not forced to go to work every day in order to survive. And that's not to say, as a lot of people think, that socialism means that we're all going to sit on our ass and do nothing. No. But it means that the economic system that exists will not exist to strip you for every extra penny that they can take you for. The economic system under socialism exists to create a society of 
free, dignified, successful people. The, the easiest way to understand how socialism can fix, a, you know, a million percent of the problems that exist in capitalism is something as simple as planned production. Um, I Let me hear, let me pull out my phone and see if I can find the direct quote from Marx because I think I might have highlighted it. Alrighty, so this is a direct quote from the Communist Manifesto. It's right in the beginning. It's a long one, so bear with me here. So... Uh, for many a decade past, the history of industry and commerce is but the history of the revolt of modern productive forces against modern conditions of production, against the property relations that are the conditions for the existence of the bourgeoisie and of its rule. It is enough to mention the commercial crises that by their periodical return put on its trial, each time more threateningly, the existence of the entire bourgeois society. In these crises, a great part not only of the existing products, but also of the previously created productive forces are periodically destroyed. In these crises, there breaks out an epidemic that, in all earlier epochs, would have seemed an, an absurdity, the epidemic of overproduction. Society suddenly finds itself put back into a state of momentary barbarism. It appears as if a famine... A universal war of devastation had cut off the supply of every means of subsistence. Industry and commerce seemed to be destroyed. And why? Because there is too much civilization. There is too much means of subsistence, too much industry, too much commerce. The productive forces at the disposal of society no longer tend to further the development of the conditions of bourgeois property. On the contrary, they have become too powerful for these conditions, by which they are fettered. And so soon as they overcome these fetters, they bring disorder into the whole of bourgeois society, endanger the existence of bourgeois property. These condition, er, the conditions of bourgeois society are too narrow to comprise the wealth created by them. And how does the bourgeoisie get over these crises? On the one hand, enforced destruction of a mass of productive forces. On the other by the conquest of new markets, and by the more thorough exploitation of the old ones. That is to say, by paving the way for more extensive and more destructive crises, and by diminishing the means whereby crises are prevented. So, uh, and then the next quote, which is, you know, it's a short one, but it's good. The weapons with which the bourgeoisie felled feudalism to the ground are now turned against the bourgeoisie itself. So what does this mean? Well, honestly, it's a great fucking question because Marx needs to learn how to write like it's 2020 so I can understand it. But basically, my understanding is that this, this you know, huge amounts of production that burst onto the scene because of the bourgeois revolutions at the time that Marx was writing created a new problem that up until this point had never been seen before, overproduction. Now, what does this mean? Well, if we have a huge amount of overproduction, we are not able to actually uh, create self-sustenance, to create self-determination, because so much of the production, the means of production, is being wasted, literally. We throw out over $140 billion worth of food every single year in this country. Why? We're told that people are starving. Give them that food. 
But the problem because that becomes that the intentionality of production under capitalism is not to meet the needs of the people, but instead, as I've discussed multiple times over, to make a profit. And so overproduction for the sake of waste actually creates profit. Because if you just focus on one cheap good and produce the fuck out of it, you know, you know, capitalizing on your overhead, making sure to re reel in as much profit as you can, it doesn't matter if you're throwing out $150 billion worth of food, you're making over a trillion. But still millions of people die every year in the United States. A lot of people who, you know, might have died from sickness or disease that probably could have made been made better if they had proper nutrition or anything to eat at all and not for nothing but this overproduction this necessity for profit has led to the creation of foods such as fruit gushers rather than just fucking fruit because not for nothing we have expanded past the wants and needs that our own society and our own locality can provide for us and expected more. And of those things come, you know, obscene and absurd wants, but no needs that are being met. I posted on Facebook last night, why the fuck are we making iPhones? Half the country doesn't have a job. How about instead of producing iPhones, we start producing medicine? Because I don't know if you guys know this, but the United States does not produce any medication for itself. We import all of it. How about we start producing ventilators now that COVID is on the rise? How about we start implementing self-sustaining agricultural practices and giving farmers throughout the country the money that they need in order to grow enough crops to support the country? Why, why is it that we choose to spend all this money making a new iPhone or a new Tesla or a new what have you rather than, I don't know, growing enough food so that the country can feed itself? And it's not even like we don't grow food in this country. country. We grow a fuck ton of food and we also sell a fuck ton of food, but it's not going to any Americans. We spend more of our money in agriculture exporting that food to places all over the world rather than using that food to feed the very citizens of the country where it was grown. Again, look at Bolivia. With Evo Morales as president, he implemented land reforms which gave uh, previously, uh, I don't know how to say it, stolen land from rural communities back to those who lived in those communities. He gave them and his administration gave them the things that they needed to farm enough to feed the people of Bolivia. Wow, what a crazy thought. And so, again, this necessity to produce for the sake of profit completely destroys the belief that capitalism creates freedom. Because now, rather than you know, planning our production in order to meet the needs of our country, we are simply allowing private businesses to produce whatever it is that they think is going to make them enough money and then sell it. We have so much land, so much property, so much acreage across this entire globe 
that is being used to produce non-necessary goods. Again, a lot of people might not see a problem with this because, hey, I, I can buy a fucking iPhone. That's pretty cool. And it is. Technology is insane. And I'm not saying that the, you know, the, the, the plain existence of iPhones is bad. But the intentionality that allows companies such as Apple to get billions of dollars of tax breaks during COVID while hundreds of thousands of farmers lose their businesses is utterly ridiculous on its face. You don't have to expand any deeper into that reality to understand that something is very wrong. Now again, to go back to arming the masses, because I didn't start talking about guns. <laughs> uh, we need guns. Um, if you don't have guns, uh, I'm not advising that you buy one because I don't know if that's legal or not. But if I were to have uh, the legal allotment to tell someone that they should buy a gun, I would tell you that you should do that. Um, I personally super afraid of guns. Don't like them. They're scary. They're bad. Not a fan. Am I going to probably buy one? Yeah. Um, because as Vijay Prashad and the rest of the people on this uh, Gorilla History episode that inspired this episode talked about, it's not like you get a notification on your phone, hey, the police are coming to fucking kill your girlfriend while she's sleeping. So if you don't have the time to run over to the gun store on the corner, grab a gun, come back home, and wait for the police to come now that you just got a notification, then it probably would... I don't know, be a good idea to have one just in case something happens. And I know a lot of people are like, and I, I've, you know, again, I'm, I, I don't want to call myself anti-gun. I wish guns didn't exist. I wish weapons didn't exist. I wish we lived in a world where weapons didn't need to exist because everybody just fucking lived their life and we lived in a fucking utopia. But obviously that's not possible. I know a lot of people are like, well, what do you got to have guns for? No, nobody's coming storming into your house. How do you know that? Again, the, 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 if, if you don't know, the situation that I alluded to just a minute ago, that's real. Breonna Taylor was asleep in her house when six officers stormed into her apartment building and unloaded their, their magazines into her sleeping body. And the only charges that were filed against those officers was one wanton endangerment charge against an officer whose bullets had made their way into an adjacent apartment building, funnily enough, where two white people lived, and put someone at danger. They got a charge. However, the plethora of bullets that pierced through Breonna Taylor and didn't put anyone else in danger didn't put anyone else on trial. So it's probably a good thing, even though there's no justice that will come of it, that Breonna Taylor's boyfriend had a gun. You should too. As a parody, of course. So now to kind of wrap it all up, let's uh, let's kind of hit on... Let's kind of hit, hit on why I think this is important. So, like I said, I'm rereading a lot. I was on Marxist dot com i think reading uh some lenin like a little uh excerpt from some leninist theory 
And it talks about how, um, essentially, as, as Marx said as well, there will come a point where the means of production can no longer progress far enough to support the very means of production. If I'm saying that correctly, like there's a point where the means of production are not going to support the society that they are being produced in and therein fall stagnant. No progress is made. Now, there's people like, uh, what's his face, Fukuyama in 96, who said this is the end of history. There's no more progress to be made. 2008 recession. Just saying. So this idea that we have no progress left to be done, we have no history left to make is utterly ridiculous. History does not simply stop because the people who are alive think that it should or that it has. We are ever-changing. Life is ever-evolving. Everything is connected and ever-influencing one another, and nothing will ever be the same as it was as soon as you pointed it out to be the way it was. So, what the fuck? What do we do? Well, as, you know... Marx and Engels were beginning to realize, you know, right at the precipice of a revolution, that a revolution was coming. I know a lot of people have made, you know, pre predictions before, but we were seeing huge contradictions become ever prevalent in the mainstream. Again, another great example that showed that capitalism is a failure is the 2008 recession. And a lot of people have chosen to forget about that through uh, their, you know, the 24-7, 365 news loop that exists in this country that allows huge stories like, I don't know, the death of, you know, hundreds of unarmed people by police across the country to go unheard. That is a problem. But it's not that that is going to stop a revolution. You know, it's not that that's going to stop change coming. What will stop change is our, honestly, nothing, first of all. Nothing can stop change. But what can stop change from benefiting, you know, the people who will be affected by that change is a refusal to accept that life will change. One thing that I've, you know, found in my reading and listening to people talking about Marxist theory is materialism and the understanding that it allows us to have of history is one of the most important things that you can learn. I do not have a great grasp on it. I don't have enough in-depth knowledge to explain it out any further than this, but it's great to understand that things such as capitalism, such as liberalism, exist in the same realm that they have always told you communism does. It's great on paper, doesn't work in practice. If you disagree with me, quit your job. Quit your job and do whatever makes you happy. You're free to do it. You live in America. Quit your job, sell your house, do whatever you want, and tell me how long it takes before you can't afford a meal. How is that a successful system? Surely this system has brought billions to certain people, billions more to certain other people. But that does not make it a success. Because again, that is the exception, not the rule. What socialism offers, what planned production offers, what scientific, you know, 
Marxism offers that capitalism and liberalism can never is a contextual understanding of our reality that allows us to change things for the better. If you can't look at the world around you and understand what has made it to be the way it is, then you cannot understand what it is that is needed to make it better. And most likely, you don't think that that's even possible. If your understanding of history, of reality, is as, you know, some unconnected, random explosions of change, then you really have a lot to learn when it comes to your understanding of the world around you. And not for nothing, but even if you're not a revolutionary, even if you don't want socialism, which you should reconsider, if you don't want these things, at the very least, I would think that you would want to understand the world you live in. Because if you don't understand the world that you live in, then you can never understand yourself. And then again, you are just simply a machine that has no self-conception, has no understanding of, you know, the world around themselves, and ultimately will live and die as absolutely meaningless matter. We all have to live right now. We all have to wake up, do whatever we gotta do, go back to bed, and repeat. But wouldn't you all love to be able to do whatever it is that's gonna make you happy in a society where things such as food, education, home, homes, medication, are not sold for a profit that allow one subset of the population to amass huge wells of not just uh, capital, but of education, of homes, of property, of medication, of, you know, all these things that a lot of people in this country have no access to. And if that is a system that you can support, well then, in all honesty, go fuck yourself. If you enjoyed what you heard, I appreciate it. If you're still listening, I appreciate you and I love you. Um, I hope that this was as good of a podcast as I wanted it to be. I need to get really good at really setting up like uh, an agenda or like a, not a script, but kind of like a bullet point thing of like what points I need to hit. Because I feel like when I just get on and I just start recording, I always miss a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. So if you think that I did that, if you think that there's some information that would have been, you know, beneficial, that would have made some of my arguments a little bit easier to understand, please, you know, let me know. You can DM me on social media. If you don't already, go ahead and follow me on social media at Annoying Question Boy on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Um, you can also find uh, my blog at annoyingquestionboy.blogspot, B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. Again, that's Annoying Question Boy, no caps, no spaces, dot blogspot dot com. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel that I have not uploaded to in like three months. Uh, hopefully that'll change throughout this quarantine. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening guys. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, I hope that this was useful somehow. I hope that you, you know, might've learned something from this because I mean, I, it's funny on the, on the episode that I was listening to VJ was like, you know, I write like I'm the annoying person who, you know, just read a book 
and wants to tell you everything about it. And I think that that's so funny because that's precisely what I do. You know, I just listened to Revolutionary Left Radio, History of Guerrilla Warfare, or Guerrilla History, and I thought, well, this is something that I would like to talk about. So I turned around and I shared that information with you. I am that annoying person. I am that annoying question boy. So I hope that if you listen to this, that is what you enjoy listening to. Uh, I hope that you turn and use this information and give it to those who you think need it. Because again, the whole point of all of this is to arm the masses with education and understanding. I am not a political theorist. I'm not a scholar. I am not an academic. The least that I can do is tell you the things that I begin to understand as I understand them. Um, yeah, so... Uh, if you liked what you heard, there's a bunch more episodes you can listen to. Check out my blog, my YouTube, social medias. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Again, it has been Annoying Question Boy, and I will see you next time. Bye.